So Rabbi, so what we're going to be learning tonight is, is a section of a speech which was given a number of years ago. This is a speech given by Rav Soloveitchik in the year 1956. So this was actually given in the Lamport Auditorium, and it was delivered in Yiddish. So this is... This is this is very important word. That's right, NYU, in the main, NYU. the main, the main auditorium in NYU, and uh, it was delivered. And later on, it was so it was so powerful, it was so well received that they translated it into English, they translated it into Hebrew, and we have the Hebrew of this of this speech of this shear that he gave, and it is called in Hebrew. It's called in Hebrew Kol Dodidofek, the call, the knock of my beloved. Is knocking. I hear the I hear the knock of my beloved. Remarkable, remarkable um, idea. And remember, just to put things into context, just a few things before we get to this. This this speech was actually mostly talking about Holocaust. Actually, remember in 1956, that's that's only 11 years since the end of the Holocaust. Harry is still living very much in the shadow of the of the Holocaust. And the first section of this shear really deals a lot with questions of theology. Fate, destiny, very, very hard questions the, um, that Russell H. deals with. As he moves towards the end, he starts talking about the state of Israel and our perspectives on it. And he offers us some really remarkable perspectives. And uh, this is, this is, this is the, the views of a Torah giant. And his perspectives are what, what we call perhaps a different Zionism than we would hear, than we see just in the flag-waving public. A, a deeply, deeply profound perspective on the state of Israel. He has a, sec- a section called the Sheish de Feikois, He what he calls the six knocks. That's this 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 subsection of the of the essay of the of the idea. And uh, just to appreciate also a little bit of the context. So Henry, as you mentioned just before the shear, is that the 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 topic the, the name of it actually called Odido Feik is taken from a pasuk in Shir Hashirim, and in Shir Hashirim it's a description of Knesset Israel and Hashem in the description of a love poem, of, of this deep connection between the, the, the deer, the, the, the raya, and the doid. And there's this moment where, the knock of my beloved is heard, I hear my beloved knocking on the door. And actually at this point in the story, if you're following Shira Shirim, she is too busy, she's too lazy, she's too not willing, and she doesn't answer the door. And when she gets up and, and, and she goes to the door, she says, uh, uh, I have taken off my, I've taken, I'm in my pajamas. How should I go get it? She goes to the door and the door is gone. And part of the imagery that Rav Soloveitchik is using in this is the idea that Hashem's knocking. We've got to get to the door. We've got to listen to the knock before the door disappears. That's number one. Another aspect of it, which is just important to realize that uh, J.J. Shechter points out when it comes to this is that Already now we have a uh, there's there's a formidable formidable um, book which is out already at the time of his of his speech, which uh, which is called Vayoel Moshe. Vayoel Moshe was written by the Satmar Rebbe, and the Satmar Rebbe was ardently against the state of Israel, and halachically speaking, and one of the, the first section of his of his sefer is called the, the is called um, the Shalosh Shavuos, the three oaths based on the Gemarik Subos. The Gemara in Ksubas itself talks about a pasuk in Shir Hashirim, Hishpati Eschem Benos Yerushalayim, and I made, a, I made an oath to you, the daughters of Zion. And the Gemara says there are three oaths made. One is Shelo Yalu B'chayma, that Jews would never enter the land of Israel, like in a, in, a, in a strong way, in a strong manner. 
The other two are fascinating, is that the nations, the, uh, the nations shouldn't oppress us too much. It's just fascinating to follow through that Gomorrah. There's a whole discussion, Lahalacha, is this Gomorrah meant to be Lahalacha? How long was it extant? Is it codependent on the other conditions? And so one of the things that the Satmar Rebbe explains in the, in, in the whole section of the Shalosh is that it's also for us to Aluk Kachoma to go to the land of Israel en masse. And, uh, and that's one of his arguments. And some say that Rav Soloveitchik's choosing this particular pasuk from Shira Shirim was in a certain sense a, a, a sort of a subtle, a subtle rebuttal to take sort of that, that pasuk in Shira Shirim, which, which the, the, the Satmar Rebbe was also using in trying to understand how to un- unpack these complex issues of a complicated state. So this is, this is, this is his, his idea. Now, rather than me, me telling you what I, what I think he says, let's just actually learn it, just because it's so profound, so profound. Um, we're going to need an English dictionary, not just a Hebrew dictionary for some of the words. But let's, let's try to, let's try to uh, unpack it. So we look at the section called Shesh Tefekos, and it's very simple. It's very easy to remember once we walk out of this, it's very because there's six points here. Here's what he says. Lifnei shonim mu'atos. Before, a few, uh, just a few years, short years ago, Full of the wailings and the cries of Medonic, Treblinka, Buchenwald, the cries of the, of the death camps. In a night filled with ga- cells, gas chambers, and, uh, and, and furnaces. A night of complete, utter hiddenness of the face of Hashem. A night filled of doubt. Of, of assimilation, of being assimilated. Where the, where the raya, the dearest one to Hashem, was about to be swept up in a wave into the, the, the church. A night full of searching without stop for the beloved. For who's the beloved? Hashem. We look, we're looking for Hashem. The night didn't end. We couldn't find Him. Belel Zegufo, in this night, Tzaf Waladad, Hashem was found. Hakel Hamasates Beshafrir Chivion Hoifia Pitom. Suddenly Hashem, in a huge image, just arrived, appeared. Vizchil Lidfok Bepesach Oaloshel Araya Hasuchufa Vadvuya. Hashem now starts knocking on the tent door of the beloved. As she lives, lies, she hit al mishkava mitoch pirpurim As she lies in convulsions of pain and hell, the pain and suffering that the Rea is going through through the Holocaust. Ekev ha'kois v'adefekois bepesach haraya atufa evel nolda medinas Israel. Through those knocks on the door of the tent of the beloved who's lying there in that immense pain, pain almost on the, on the brink of consciousness. That's when the state of Israel is found. So this is the, the introduction, just to appreciate this. I'm going to read with Havara Sfardit because the words are are are, are exactly the, the. This is this is modern Hebrew that he's speaking. It's easier to 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 appreciate it in that context. Here's 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 what he says. How many times did the beloved knock on the tent of his, of of his of his beloved of this young lady of Knesset Israel? Domani, it would seem to me. We can count six knocks. And here's how he isolates them. I mean to say, if we listen carefully enough, we can hear Hashem knocking on our tent through the rival state of Israel. Now, here's the challenge. As we're about to enter into him, he's going to enumerate each one of them. What we should doing, do to ourselves is a little cheshbon. This is, this is said and printed later on, in the, but this is the, you said in the year 1956. 
right? So we're talking about a whole long time ago, right? We're talking more than 60 years ago. How much have these knocks changed in terms of increased, decreased, or remained the same? We need to say now that we are 71 years later, after the establishment of the State of Israel, how do these perspectives shift? Have they intensified? Have they de-intensified? Have they remained static? That's a question we should be asking ourselves as we learn this. Let's, let's, let's learn number one. Number one, Reishis, the first one. Number one is, we heard Hashem's knocking in the political system. In the, on a, on a, from the international relations perspective, no person could ever deny that even establishment of the state of Israel was supernatural. Altivit. It has to have been above the natural order of politics. Russia, the USSR and the United States of America supported the same idea. When did they ever vote on the same thing ever in the history? There was no other singular decision in which the West and the East, certainly in the years of the Cold War, ever united on one decision. Think about that. Never. Notani Lamin, I believe, says Rasolovechik, this is so powerful. This is the perhaps just learning it just with this line. He says, Shirgun Haumatamuchadot. What's um, what's Umotamuchadot? The UN, the United Nations. I believe that the organization, perhaps the organization of the United Nations, that perhaps was consecrated, was created just for this one purpose, for that vote, for that vote for the state of Israel. That's why Hashem allowed it to exist. Midmeli, he says in 1956, Right now, I'm not able to point to one practical one practical outcome that they have achieved since then. And now in 2019, can we? What, what, is the, what is the Security Council voting about right now? What have they sold in Syria? What have they sold in Darfur? What have they done? For the, right? Says Rasulovechik. There, there has to have been. And he says, he says well, you're going to tell me an arrogant way of looking at it? He says, no. Chazal there's a Chazal which says that you can have rain which will fall on the entire area. Why? Because one patch of grass, one blade of grass requires sustenance, even though the rest of it doesn't. But that's what we call that, that everything else is a beneficiary, a collateral beneficiary. So you know what? The world's a collateral beneficiary of the United Nations. But who was the point of it? Is the fact that there had to be a vote for, for the nation of Israel. And in your day, Edmira Odin Tsigeotonot Bebeene Basar Goralit. I don't know who the, the, the journalist saw sitting on, on the presidium, on the state, on the podium, on that on that night of the vote. I share Bahu Klata Yosobinidant Israel on the day that the, the nation the, the, the establishment of the state of Israel was formed. Those who looked with spiritual eyes, Hirgish Yoshev Rosh Amiti. They saw the real Yoshev Rosh, the real one who presided over this. Hashem was presiding over that ceremony. What do you think? You think it was, was just, just by, by happenstance? Everything worked out? He was the one who, who, smat, who hit with the gavel on, his, on the table when he announced that the vote had been counted. And he goes on the next section. We'll just skip this next section. But he, in the next few lines, he basically says, When we learn Megidas Esther, we learn, it says, You know, by Banalala, who Nadadash Nasamelech, right? So, what does the Gemara Megidah tell us? 
Every time it says Melech, it refers to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. He says, is that, they're not just telling you a parsha. They're not just telling you how to read Megillah. They're telling you how to read life, right? The, as the, the, the gavel was being slammed down, that the state of Israel was being declared, aren't we supposed to read Hamelech? That that's Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Do we do we divorce our reading of Tanakh and reading of life? That's what Rabbi Yitzchak said. We need to understand how, what, what's happening on the political sphere. And he ends the paragraph: Kol Dodi Hashem's knocking. Meaning to say, let's not underestimate. Let's not underestimate the the power, the political miracle of the establishment of the state of Israel. And by the way, since then, everything since then has been castigation. <laughs> if you think about it, everything else has been castigation. It's almost like there's one moment where there was clarity, where there was light. And it was allowed, and then since then, you know, they backtracked and pedaled, backpedaled until all the resolutions we've seen um, uh, up till now. Miracle number one, knock number one on the political arena. Knock number two. This one makes a lot of sense. Shenit, second, the next paragraph. Defekot adod nishmat beistakrav. It was heard on the battlefield. Chayil hagachel aganak tan shel Yisrael nitzach es tzivoseihen haotzumim shel arzot arav. The small fledgling army fought against the mechanized forces. The supplied forces of the Western country, of the Arab countries. We have seen what we say in Al Anisim. We know the ratios in 1967. Later on, we know the ratios in, the, in, in 1948 of the tanks, of the airplanes, of the soldiers, of the equipment. We know, we know the ratios. They are Rabim Ma'ad Matim. There's not even a, a question of what's going on. But that's not the wall. There's more. There's something even more incredible happens. Here's what happens. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, He chbid et lev Yishmael, v'tziva alav l'atzet l'krav, neged midinat Yisrael. He made those Arabs go out and fight us. Think about this. Did we start the fight? Well, it depends whose history book you're reading. But did we start the fight? The answer is absolutely no. What happened? Let's, let's go back in history. What happened was, there was a partition plan. The UN su- suggested a partition plan which would give the Jews a very small area of almost like three sausages, like three little areas of, of the Jewish settlements, and the rest would be a, would be Arab-owned. What happened? The Jews accepted it, and the Arabs didn't, as with any peace plan, which has, which has happened there afterwards, not in terms of Egypt and Jordan, but in terms of internally. Um, and they, they, they said no, and they went out to war. Well, because they went out to war, ultimately, they end up losing much more, because they fought, Israel conquered it back. That's why we had so much territory after the 1948 war. He says, look at the miracle. Why in the world did they attack us? Hashem allowed them to be foolish enough to attack us. He says, says, If they had not declared war on Israel, if they had agreed to the partition plan, we wouldn't have had Jerusalem at all. No access. Right? He, he wrote this before the Six Day War. This is before the Six Day War. No, no. You, you're, so you're saying even the parts they had in 1948, they wouldn't have had. We wouldn't have had part of the Galil or in the Negev at all because we were willing to accept. We signed on the bottom of the paper and they said, forget it. And they, took, they went to war against us. Listen, what did Moshe Rabbeinu ask from Paro? He said, Paro, let's just have three days. We're going to take a little, a little meander in the desert, we'll come back. Paro said, no way! So then they went out. He says, if Paro had just acquiesced and said yes, then Moshe had to keep to his words, but it was a bilateral agreement, and Paro broke it. So the same thing happened over here. HaKadosh Baruch was makshe slave Paro. HaKadosh Baruch made a Paro's heart hard. He made the Arabs heart hard. And ultimately, because of that, we went to war, and we got territories, unimaginable territories in 1948. Remarkable. 
By the way, just to just appreciate this in, 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 in bigger context, just so I like to understand this, there was a terrible, terrible thing that happened in the 1948 war, and there was an episode called Daryasin. Daryasin is actually where Hanof is today. Um, it was an Arab village and was attacked by not the Haganah, not the Palmach, but I believe it was Irgun or Lehi, one of the one of the smaller, more radical branches of the, the resistance. And it was a terrible, it was a massacre. There were 200 inhabitants there and they were killed. So it was a terrible, terrible blot in the history of, of, the, of, the, of the nation of Israel. So, what, so the Arabs had a, had a decision to make. But it, not as if this wasn't happening on the other side. That doesn't that does not give, conscious, uh, give us the conscience for what, what happened. And there was mistakes made and, and, and it, it is an eternal blot on, on Jewish history. Nonetheless, what did the Arabs do in response to that? So they, they figured, as, as, as many times as the Egyptians did later on, that politically speaking it would be better to, to actually excessively describe that, that massacre because it would be for political gain. Well, they say they, would, they, they, they over-exaggerated everything that went on at Daryasin in order to be able to, to rail up the world, world into a frenzy against this new, the new state of Israel. That's what they did. And what happened because of that? What happened because of that was people started running. The Arabs started running. The fear of Daryasin was so much, so great, that all these those evacuations in Tzfat, Right, the evacuations of large sections. So ultimately, their own political agenda backfired in their face. Right, just to also just appreciate things. You know, we all, we all go to you know go to Yerushalayim, we visit Katamon. <laughs> Katamon was not a Jewish neighborhood at, the, at, at that point in time. Right, there was Jews interdispersed everywhere, but predominantly at this point, there was actually there was fighting going on between individual soldiers in, in, of the Haganah and between, um, between Iraqi forces at this point. Remember how many armies were fighting over here? There were Iraqi forces in Jerusalem um, who, who were fighting. What happens? They had, you know the San Simon Monastery, if you're familiar, if you walk through Katamon? San Simon Monastery was where the Jewish Brigade had their last effort where they were fighting for their lives in, in, in the 1948 in the War of Independence. And uh, they were surrounded. They, had, they were on the point of, brink of running out of ammunition. They had more wounded than they had people viable. And their radio was not working. They were running out of ammunition. At a certain point in time, they had no, they had no way to know. They had no way to, to signal back for reinforcements. They had no way to find out what the state of the enemy was. And they reached a point where they simply didn't have enough people to be able to carry out the wounded. That was, that was where, where, where things were in, in the war. And at a certain point, they simply would run out of ammunition and they would be massacred, as, as, as was in the Gush Etzion block and as in the other places that were conquered. What, what, did they, what did they do? So they basically decided that they were going to use all the remaining ammunition and they were going to blow up all the, the wounded because rather than let them be tortured to death in the hands of the enemy, and they tried to, the, the, the few remaining would try to escape. That was the decision they made. In the meantime, what was happening was is that the Israeli forces had intercepted a message from the Iraqi forces that the Iraqi forces were just running out of ammunition and they were on the brink of collapse themselves, but the people in the monastery didn't have no way of getting that message. You think about the, the sort of dramatic irony that's going on over here. As they were about to light that fuse, the radio, which wasn't working, suddenly crackled to life, and they said, hold on. They were able to hold on. They were able to pretend that they had defenses. The Iraqis re retreated, and that's why they had cut them on his part. You understand? Like, I'm saying, like, just appreciate the miracles that were going on over there. That, that radio hadn't crackled to life in the last minute. We're talking about overt miracles, right? So it says Razon of Hachik, called Odidul Fake. Listen to Hashem's knocking over here. We've just got to read a little bit about those wars to understand that we were not in any position militarily to win anything that we won. That's number two. And then number three. It goes into the next paragraph, paragraph marked Hey. Shlishit, number three. He says, On the theological door, Hashem knocked. 
not the political, not the military, but the theological duel. It is possible. This is perhaps the strongest knock. What does he mean? What does he mean? The theological door. Whenever I speak about Israel, I've, I've, I've emphasized that, that if you read Christian theology, you know that Christian theology borrows and relies, its theology relies upon the rejection of Israel, the rejection of the Jews. And that's why they say that anything which is talking about Israel and Sion is actually really allegorically referring to the Christians, right? <coughs> so if you like, if you read, like if you ever read the notes of the debate of the Ramban and Pablo Cristiani in Aragon, fascinating. Well, a lot of the, a lot of it there is a revolving about a, a revol, revolves around the Summer Gomorrahs, but a lot of it actually revolves around Psukim. Where they basically say Psukim, which refer to, to Israel, refers to Yoshka and their their savior who's come again. And it's clear to us that it's talking about Knesset Israel, and they interpret it as referring to Natsrut, to 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 Natsrut, to 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 Christianity. He says Nispadu befarhesia ayadei yosod medinat Israel. All those claims have been proven false with a one foul swoop on the establishment of the, of the nation of Israel. Ketanot sheker, they're they're invalid. Sheein laim shum ikar without foundation of a shoresh. Yesh tzorech bidiyem akifah besafut atiyologiot meazim a Justin Martyr atiyologim achadashim imen. You need to know from Justin Martyr all the way to our current um, Christian theologians. You need to know their their ideas. Kedel avinet kol apela gadolazen to understand how marvelous this is. Shal yadov shal yadov nifrecha bepumbi hanacha hamerkazit betiyologa hanotzrit. They relied on the fact. Remember that, 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 everything was, that, that, that everything was rejected. Remember this for a moment. How could they accept the Old Testament but still say that the Christians were, were fine? The answer is, is they said, yeah, everything up to now was fine, but the Jewish people misbehaved themselves. They were rejected. And now Hashem chose a new nation, and that's us, right? That's how that's our race. So what happens? So, so therefore, it rests upon the, 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 the basic architectural keystone that the Jews always rejected. And it looked like that for the last 1900 years, the Jews were always the perennial minority, the perennial rejected, expelled, persecuted minority of every, of every society. What happens when the Jews start succeeding again? What happens when they get a country now? What happens when all this happens and all the promises suddenly in Tanakh start talking about Israel, not the Christians? Well, that, that, that shifts things a little bit. <laughs> so before he gets into this next sentence, just to, just to appreciate this. Christianity is dealing with this problem. And that's why, I believe, what was the year Nostra Teta? Okay, Vatican II. Vatican II was 1961, I think. <coughs> what was the... 60, it's in the early 60s, the Vatican met and the Catholic Church re, uh, released a, a revision called Vatican II. One of the most infamous or famous parts of is what's happening. It's all falling apart. Just an interesting, interesting, interesting historical fact. When was the first time the Pope visited the state of Israel? Now, and let's, let's put things into, into perspective. It's not as if Israel just happens to be a good tourist location, right? Their savior is buried there, right? All the starting of the religion is there. You know how I many Christian sites are found in Israel? There are crusades fought about this, right? So the Pope, you'd imagine, would be on the first LL flight, right? <laughs> not so. So the, when was the first time the Pope visited? 
I think it was 66, 64, he somewhere, somewhere there. He came to Jordan. And he didn't even go through Ben Gurion. He, he came through Jordan. Right. Right. And and it happened to be just historically speaking, if you're, if you're interested, Golda Meir ha, had had trouble with her wrist. She wasn't able to meet him. Very smart lady. But what, what do you think? Why, why do you think it was so difficult for the Pope to get on a plane? Almost 20 years later, after the state was founded, why do you think it's so difficult? Because him, his going to Israel was a public, in a certain acquiescence or agreeing with the fact that the Jews are right. He couldn't, right? He couldn't do that. Even when he came in, he couldn't go through the international airport. Right, think about, think about what that means. We, 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 we were like, of course. Think about what it must have been like living like a Jew, where all the Tanakh was thrown back in our face through all our history, and now suddenly we see it's all, to, all talking to us. Read Chagai, Zachary, Malachi, Yeshayahu, it's all there. Right? And then he says, and he says a very interesting diok. This is a Londish diok. In, uh, in, in one of the American uh, sentences. He says, Oh, sorry, Sarah Chutz, Shalano, a foreign secretary of state, Mar Dallas, right? Dallas, John Foster Dallas. So, what's John Foster Dallas? He says, So, he's an Episcopalian minister. And, uh, and this is what he said. This is what the, the, foreign, the, uh, the, the, foreign, uh, the secretary of state said. Bevadat, Senate at one Senate meeting, Why do the Arabs hate the Jews so much? He says, because we killed their savior. That's, that was his time. That's not so magic. Doesn't make sense, does it, right? We didn't kill the Muslim savior. Just historically, it isn't true, right? Muhammad had his, found, found his own way to be killed by, by, by those who followed him, right? He would lose by the sword, certainly. Died pretty pretty soon by the sword, right? So um, he, the, the, that's not why the Arabs hate us. So Salvechik, what was happening in his mind was the following: He says, you know, when you say when you look at Bilam and we say through Bilam's brachas we see his curses, he says this poor this poor this poor fellow, this minister over here, well, was terribly distressed theologically about the creation of the state of Israel, but he couldn't say say that right? because a, you know we don't want to be speaking hate speech in the Senate. Right, that that wouldn't be acceptable, would it? Except for now, right? So, 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 uh, um, so, what does he say? So, he, what he was trying to say was, he was trying to say, we and I equally like the Arabs also hate the Jews because he killed our savior, the Christian savior. But he couldn't say that, so he, so Hashem sort of he switched his words to say it was about the Arabs. But what says Rabbi Listen to what he's trying to say. He's, he, it's a reflection of his own disarray, his own chaotic falling apart theologically when seeing the state of Israel arriving. Brilliant, just a, just a deal. And then in Rav Soloveitchik, uh, that was also, uh, outside, but if you take a look at the next part of the page, just so, so much nachas. He says, uh, at the four lines in by the little parody, he says, Israel. I get so much nachas reading Catholic and Protestant newspapers about Israel. They have to use, they have to talk about Jerusalem, they have to talk about Zion, right? All Jewish concepts, right? I get so much enjoyment. <laughs> we don't know Israel's official response because it's Saturday and, and the offices are closed. It's like there's so much nachas when I read that. He says, Oi, Kishani, Pesach, Yediam, United Press. I read the United Press and, and, they, and they say, Shayudim, Yoshu Halayla, Yeshu Halayla, Leshulchana Seder, Betikva, Shenisei Mitzrayim, Yachzuru, Yisrachashu Hayom. Says that, that the Jews are sitting down in their seder tonight to hope that the, the, the miracles of yesteryear will happen today as well. Says 
United Press is printing this. Called it is a fake. Is then theologically, look what Hashem's showing us. Again, different dimension altogether. Called it is a fake. Hashem's knocking on our door. Politically, militarily, theologically. Let's get, let's get into the last three. Reviets. Number four. Hadod dofek belibota noar hamit polel vaha navuch. Hashem is knocking on the door of our assimilated youth. To kuvat hastera ponim bereshit shnot arabayim, hibia bilbul hamochot ben hamonei ha'am ha'yodi va'anoad ha'yodi befrat. Anoar yodi befrat. There were lots of questions. The 40s brought about lots of questions. There were lots of people who wholesale said, if this is what God's about, I'm not interested. I'm checked out. I have nothing to do with a God who can allow what happened in Europe to happen. And, and by the way, who can, who can blame, right? When people went through these things. He says, this is what happened to our youth. The assimilation was strengthening. It was reaching a pinnacle. Pachad, fear, yush, des, uh, 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 giving up of hope. The Amaratsus, and simple lack of knowledge. They, they rejected Israel. They got on the boat to run to Tarshish. Who's that? Yonah. And he carries on with the marshal. So powerful. So powerful. He says, And they thought there was no way to, that, that anyone could stop them running away. The knocking of Hashem upon the establishment of the state of Israel slowed down that fleeing. Those people who were fleeing from Hashem was slowed down. How so? You look at it, you know, and today this is a questionable, unfortunately even losing this. But you look at the unaffiliated, you look at the different denominations of Judaism, and they may have nothing, they have no Torah, no mitzvahs, no history. But you know what they do have? They have a connection, they, they, they're proud. Start-up nation. Right, you go to APEC and you see the, the folks there. It's, it's not just Orthodox Jews. The people are proud across the board. There, there's, a, there's an association. The American Jews who were assimilated to, they were mixed up for, for to half, a third, a quarter. They still fear when they hear about war. They still pray when they when they hear about when they hear about rockets landing, even though they have no other connection to Judaism, no connection whatsoever. It was the last anchor to hold these people connected. Even those Jews who want nothing to do with the state of Israel are still suspected of having dual loyalties. <laughs> Things haven't changed. Right? The Jews are suspected. Who's, who are you really loyal to? Israel, America? And they, and they, they defiantly declare, we are American Jews. We're Americans first and Jews second. We are, we are, right? It is a good sign when Jews can't escape their Judaism. And that to answer the questions, who are you? What do you work as? Who asks those questions to whom? In Tanakh. That was the captain of the boat. 
to Yonah, who's in the boat trying to hide, trying to escape. Even when they don't have the audacity or they don't have the courage to be able to answer and say, I'm a Jew. <laughs> the question is still asked. You can be on the, the you can be in the greatest um, you know fraternity on the most distant college campus, and they will still call you a dirty Jew. And you know why? Because you're connected to something which is in the papers every single day. Says Rosolovejek, you can't escape that easily anymore. You can't escape being Jews. Even those Jewish BDS activists who so nobly fought the social cause, social action cause, in the end of the day, when it comes down to it, they also get kicked out. They, just, they, 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 don't, they don't love us. Right? Understand what's going on here. This is a lifeline to the youth which is disappearing. Knock number, number four. Call the defect. We're going to skip the last, this last paragraph now. Number five. Okay, so again, politically, militarily, theologically, and in terms of assimilation, the knock of Hashem. Number five, paragraph Ches. He believes perhaps this is the most important, not the strongest, but the most important of all. And that is, For the first time in 1900 years, we are able to see one thing for certain, and that is, Jews' blood is not ownerless. For the first time, there is something to be said about defending our blood. He says, you not. They want to say, where do you get this from, this idea, this idea of ein tachas ein? He says, you know what, let's agree. It's eye for an eye. We mean it. We mean it literally. How does the Mossad operate? Right? We have to read that Pasuk. Literally, they want to kill us, we'll kill them back. They want to cut us up, we'll cut them up back. That's how it works. We've lost many lives. Much blood has been spilled. Ankle deep, knee deep. <laughs> up, to, up to our noses in blood in Jewish history, and nobody's ever paid us back. Nobody's ever defended us. <laughs> we should read that pasuk literally. He says, but Tuchani, he says, now you might be going right. He says, I, I, I'm sure you trust me, right? I believe in Torah Shabalpeh. Right? I know the Pshat and the Pasuk called the Gemara become a. Right, I, just, I read, I read the Gemara about Bekama, right? In Perkach Hoyvel, right? That it means to say it really means money. I understand that. Referring to the Mufti, who's the Mufti? Not to Jerusalem, what a rotten person. There's the right Mufti, Hajjalmin uh, Ulseini, right? Who, who's responsible for so many deaths already in 1929, the one who, ro- who riled up the public, the one who met Hitler himself to, to train his troops to kill Jews, right? Ula Nasser, who's that? Um, Abdul Nasser, the, the, the rising champion of Egypt who led them into the Six-Day War. He says, I'm going to tell you, them. that's what the Torah means. 
אל תשימו לב למין ישראלים הרעת הממתוקות של המתבוללים ידועים ושל כמה סוציאלטים יהודים. Don't listen to those, you know, those people, the socialists who say, העומדים במרדום, החושבים שהם חיים עוד בביאליסטוק. Don't tell me like those Jews who say, we're still in Europe, we shouldn't lift a finger, right? בריסקו מינס שנה שנה סנטינו פאב, when the massacres were happening. הדורשים בבריש גלי כי נקמה נאסרה לישראל בכל מקום, we no longer, we can't take revenge, we're in other countries, בכל זמן ובכל נסיבות, under any circumstances, הבל הבלים, emptiness, אסורה היא הנקמה כשאין לה מטרה, revenge is disallowed when there's no point, אבל אם מתרוממים על יודר להגנה עצמית, הרי היא זכותה האלמנטרית של האדם באשר הוא אדם נקמסה. This is self-defense. This is self-defense. Just appreciate what, what this means. Just appreciate this in, 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 in terms. You, you know, we have to read history to, to appreciate what, what's, what's going on. We live at the very tail end of it, and we're in a very luxurious goddess. But we've got to read history. You know, England, oh, what a wonderful country England is. Do you know that the Jews are kicked out of England for 350 years? Do you know that when the Jews were, and why? For, for, of course, financial gain, because there was a deal made between the, between the barons and the king, because the king needed extra funds. So if you kick them out, then you get their funds, right? And that was, uh, he was able to pay back the barons so he could retain power. That was, uh, that's how it worked. This was after many persecutions and the, the, the massacre in York, all the different things that went on, right? And we have Kinos on this, right? When they threw out the Jews, they, they, what happened was is they, they, they gave them a very short time, like they did in Spain and Portugal afterwards, and they'd obviously sell all their assets. So, of course, everybody took advantage. They said, oh, you know, <laughs> the loans that we owe you, <laughs> I'm sorry, we just don't have the money right now. We'll pay you back in. Oh, when you're leaving? Four months' time or five months, we'll have the money for you, right? So, so every defaulted their credits, right? Defaulted their loan repayments. And then the Jews, all their, we'll call cash and transit, all their, all their actual possessions, they took them on the boats. There's one episode, which is a recorder. I read a book called um, Antiqua um, Anglica. It was written by a, in 1736 by a, by a, a Christian about the, the, the history of the Jews in England. Shocking. And by the way, this is an unbiased perspective because he's a Christian. <laughs> he's trying to, and he himself is, is, is shocked at the treatment of the Jews. And he's, he, there, was, there was one particular, there was a particular ship that was taking Jews. And of course, the Jews were on deck and they had all their possessions below deck. They went to, the guy took him down the river, took the Jews to, to, down the river. They got into a sandbar, told everybody we're just taking a quick air break. Everybody gets off and off he went. 10,000 Jews died. 10,000 Jews died. And of course, their possessions were in the boat. They went off. Do you understand what's going on over here? The boats, which went off. What happened to the fellow? Oh, yes, he was brought to trial and the money and the whole business. Where's our blood ever been valued? Where's our blood ever been taken seriously? This is what, what Russell Ejig says. No one cared. No one cared about the doors of Portugal which were closed when, when Spain kicked the, the Jews out or the extortion or the, or the kidnapping of their children to get more money out of them when they were getting to Spain. Nobody cares about the Somalian pirates who are taking Jews as they were escaping, escaping Spain, right? Do we, do, was there anybody to defend them when the Jews of Aleppo were being kicked out? Who was there to defend them? Right? When we look at the movie Munich, right? Spielberg's, you know, twist of that. Or after the Munich 11, right? The 11 who were killed, the, the sportsmen. I, we feel a tremendous sense of pride that those murderers were, were, were eradicated. All accidents. All accidents. Terrible things happened to these people. I picked up the phone. They slipped the ladder, the whole business, you know. They're gone, those terrorists. Every single one of them. We lost one of them. Well, Eichmann, how did Eichmann get to, get, get to trial? It wasn't because, because people felt socially, socially responsible. It was because Mossad was there. 
right? The, the, the person who extracted them, the agent who extracted them, just passed away. Says, says Rasul Avechek, called it is a fake. Hashem is knocking. Let's, let's, let's appreciate this for the first time in 1900 years has ever been possible. Last knock. This is the way. And by the way, he just, in the end of this paragraph, he actually talks about how we need to take this seriously in terms of not just for ourselves, but so the rest of the nations hear this. Because he says, we can't rely on the 1950s and 56 remember there's a Sinai campaign happening right now. Egypt is developing chemical warheads to send into Israel. And he says, and what do the nations say? Oh, we'll protect you. We'll protect you. He says, no, no. He says, we can't trust them. And, and of course they weren't. When France was our only ally in 1967, suddenly they started to stop sending us war, uh, uh, weapons as we, started, uh, as we started entering the war. When the Straits of Tehran were closed. And what was the UN working about? What was America working about? They were trying to get a, a, a convoy of ships through. Meanwhile, Egypt is talking about cutting Israel in half as they kill all the Jews. Right? And what they're trying to do, they're trying to get, let's one get one convoy of ships through the Straits of Tehran. That's what they were trying to work on. He says, we can't trust them. They're not going to protect us. They still weren't. They still haven't. That's what, that's what Rasul Avechik says. Now, last, 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 last paragraph, or last uh, paragraph, yeah. The sixth knock. We cannot ignore this. When the gates of the land were opened, the gates of Israel were opened. A Jew from anywhere around the world is able to start, pick up one day and say, I can go to the land of my ancestors. This is absolutely new. When the Jews were kicked out of their place, when they were uprooted as they were from almost, almost every single country in Europe, six times from France. No one else wanted them. At the time of the closing of the, of the gates, it is changed. For the first time it's changed. When, when a nation kicks out its minority of Jews, as Algeria, as Libya, as Egypt, as Iraq, all did. As Syria, all did. They can turn their steps towards Zion. As a, as a mother takes in her mercifully her children. We've watched the Jews of the East, all the Jews in Arab countries being absorbed into Israel. Where would they have gone? Where exactly would they have gone? Where would they have gone? Lo, lu, come on. Now listen to this statement. This is such a powerful and terrifying statement. Lu, come on. Medinat Yisrael, lifnei ha-shoah ha-hitlerit. If there had been a state of Israel when Hitler, Yemach Shema V'Zichroi, had established his third Reich, me'ot alfei Yehudim ha-yonitzalim mitae gahagaz v'akivshanim. Tens of thousands of Jews, at the very least, would have been saved from the, from the gas chambers. It was just a little too late. In those delays were the deaths of thousands and millions. As the Hesteponim lifts, as the Jews who are uplifted from their places, uprooted from their places, to live in the Holy Land. We should never take that lightly. Call the Dufa Dufa, Hashem is knocking. When I was in South Africa in 1993, the elections were happening and the change of government was about to happen. 
Allow put on standby airplanes waiting in the airport, lest there be a bloody rebellion and the Jews need to get out to Israel. When in history has it ever happened? Six knocks. Six knocks, folks. And remember, this is not messianic Zionism. This is about understanding how Kodesh Baruch is knocking. Let's not, get out, let's not forget to get up when Hashem knocks. Thank you so much.